Every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world, reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. Heather Halgrimson is the business development lead for Cooperatives First, a nonprofit organization that supports groups in creating cooperative businesses in rural and First Nations communities in Western Canada. Her passion is helping groups find what success looks like for themselves as they start cooperative business ventures. Heather's educational background includes a BA in linguistics and a master's in public administration both of which she pursued because of her love of learning and to understand how things work. Heather grew up in a number of small communities in Saskatchewan and spent most of her youth riding horses, participating in the 4-H club, and competing in local fairs. Her favorite place in the world is to be at one of the thousands of lakes in Saskatchewan, hiking, boating, fishing, or kayaking. I met Heather at a virtual networking event before the pandemic. She was invited up on the virtual stage to talk about her experience working with rural communities, educating and assisting folks with starting cooperatives. After that networking event, however, I was still a bit confused about what cooperatives are and how they actually work. And I wasn't really clear on the benefits of co-ops. Heather's spunkiness Wicked sense of humor and willingness to be vulnerable and upfront drew me to her. And I can tell you, a conversation with her is unforgettable. This one doesn't disappoint. Heather and the Cooperative's first team have a podcast, and I've added the link to it in the show notes. I've also added the contact information for Cooperative's first and other organizations across Canada that assist folks with starting cooperatives. Tell us the folks that that you actually provide services for. 
So our organization provides services for people who are starting cooperative businesses in rural and First Nations communities across Western Canada. We're going to talk about cooperatives today. Yeah. Start at the beginning. What is a co-op? What a co-op is is just a way to incorporate a business. You know, you can choose to incorporate as a corporation or a cooperative. There's also sole proprietorships, limited partnerships, things like that. But a cooperative is a way for a group, usually it's three or more people, to start a business together. And so that's what a co-op is. A few things that makes it a little bit different than corporations is that co-ops are um, one member, one vote voting structure. So you can't buy votes um, by buying more shares. Each person who's a part of the co-op is equal decision maker and can run for the board and things like that. Um, the other thing that's a little bit different about co-ops is how they share uh, profit, which is based on use of the co-op. Um, so if you use the co-op more, you get potentially more of the profit share, you know, come time to distribute some dividends to the members. Your organization actually provides training to larger, like larger groups of people in co-ops. So you, you're kind of the experts. Well, I like to think so. And hey, you know, before I just talk about like what we do, I just want to say how it's all possible. So our organization and the reason we work with the groups that we do and we have that focus and that mandate for rural and First Nations communities and co-ops there is because of our funder, which is Federated Cooperatives Limited. And they did a two-year research study that looked at, are people still considering co-ops as a way to do business? Are people using the co-op model? Um, and their operating area is predominantly rural, Western Canada, although they are moving to working with First Nations in partnership with First Nations. So they saw this as a real area potentially of growth for co-ops, but they just didn't see people necessarily capturing those opportunities. And so what they did then after that two-year research study is commit to five years for our funding for our organization to exist. And this started in 2016. And this five years of funding, I mean, plus it's rolled on now and we're continuing on. We have a rolling funding agreement now. But this allows our organization to, to work in those communities, to focus with those communities and to do the kinds of things that we are able to do, like providing training and educational programs and that kind of thing. So that, that's kind of how it's all possible. People ask, like, do you charge for your services? I say no. And then they say, like, what's the catch? <laughs> so I, yeah. I just say there's no catch. It's we, we can do this because our funders saw this vision and and uh, and we were able to execute it and, and gave us, you know, kind of a lot of, you know, flexibility to capture this opportunity um, in the ways that we see fit, like with the board's direction. So, so that's how we're able to do what we do. In terms of education, like that's a big part of what we do because like, okay, I would say like half of it, I'm gesturing here. This is not helpful on podcast, but I'm gesturing. <laughs> so half <laughs> of what we do is actually develop co-ops, work with those groups starting co-ops in rural and First Nations communities. I'm talking to farmers who are starting abattoir co-ops. I'm talking to artisans who are starting producer co-ops. The other half of what we do is provide training and education on co-ops because that's what that study saw. It saw that people just don't know or aren't familiar with or just don't know how they could use a co-op to capture whatever opportunity they see. So that's why we do that education, blogs and podcasts, like thought leadership kind of stuff, because we want to show people it's still relevant, it's still interesting, and you can still use it. So do you think that you're going to see an increase in people creating co-ops or moving in that direction? There has been a slight uptick in the amount of people starting co-ops in Western Canada. And I don't know if we can claim this or whatever. Um, COVID is going to have an interesting impact on that because small business generally is going to be impacted by 
the pandemic. So I don't know what's going to happen in 2020, 2021, but, or 2022, I don't know. I don't want to make prognostications here, but I really, really hope that we will inspire people to think about co-ops a little bit differently to not think of them in terms of like, well, those are something only, you know, the hippies or the kumbaya sort of people do. But actually, this is a viable and interesting business model that we could use to do something that we want to capture, to use it for ourselves. I, I think we talk about that all the time. I mean, we're we're a small but scrappy team. And I really, I mean, that's what we're working towards is more people using the co-op model for their benefit. Um, we're not selling them something that they don't want. I really think that this makes a lot of sense for the groups that we're working with. As we move into challenging the current systems that we live under, uh, like colonialism and capitalism, do you think that co-ops are actually a way of removing barriers for certain groups of people? Yeah, those are some big questions. I'll weigh in <laughs> as best as I can, <laughs> acknowledging that, uh, you know, my privilege and all of that kind of thing and where I'm coming from. But look, I, I want to say in terms of like why I think co-ops are interesting and relevant and why I am pitted in for them and doing this work, it's not just because they get a paycheck. I think that co-ops are a really interesting way for a group of people to get something that they want for themselves, to not have to wait on a government institution to bring them something, to not have to wait for a corporate entity to you know realize that there's an opportunity there. So yeah, I think it's a really cool way to capture something locally to create that sort of, you know, it's kind of like a circle is how I say it. And a corporation, I mean, not like I'm anti-corporation because like, I don't buy all my stuff from co-ops, but I think there's a time and a place, right? So in a corporation, I mean, you got the kind of person on the top and you got the shareholders who may or may not live in the communities that this corporation operates in. Often they don't. That's fine. They're the ones getting most of the share of the profits of whatever this thing is doing. Whereas in a co-op, the profits like is kind of like they go they go out, right? So in a co-op, the profits just basically circle back to the people who own it. It all kind of happens in a circle. You know, you buy the services from the co-op, you get the thing, you know, they go through the the co-op and they go pay the people to do all the things. And then if you have money left over, it goes back into the people who are buying the stuff. That's why I was talking about patronage. It's based on use. If you use the co-op, you get more back. If I buy more gas from the co-op, I get more share of the profits. If I buy more grocery or hardware, I get more share of the profits. You can take this into housing. I mean, if you're like, okay, where's, you know, there's nowhere to live. I mean, I know in a lot of places that is a big issue. It's like, yeah, but why don't we consider how we can create that opportunity for ourselves? I mean, that could apply to to daycare services or if you're like, I mean, if you think of it in terms, I'm talking about services, but you could also aggregate products. If you're, you know, an artisan and you make a certain product and you're thinking, I really need to access to those bigger markets. Like how am I going to access them? I can't afford a website, maybe or a good marketing strategy. You can work with other people selling similar things, aggregate your product, share in the costs, and, you know, have a place to sell those products more broadly. So there's a lot of ways to do it. And and that's where I think like, that's where the sweet spot for co-ops is, I think, is it's like, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, but I think that it's like wherever there is something that I want, and I share that desire for that with another group of pe- people, then it makes perfect sense as a co-op. It's kind of like the ultimate example of where there's a will, there's a way. Exactly. I mean, that's a good way to put it because it's like, You know, and I I see this a lot too. I I see people kind of like cluing in on this. I I do a lot of webinars talking about economic development and opportunities. And we just recently had one on investing in yourself, like local investment initiatives and even local investment co-ops. 
And and it was kind of like I had one speaker saying, like, we need to invest in ourselves before anyone else sees like they should invest in us. Why would anyone invest in us when we don't invest in ourselves? And people are just kind of like, well, huh, you know, that is interesting. It's kind of like, start with yourself, start with what you need. And I mean, it's just a way to get what you want without waiting, without waiting for somebody else to do it for you. What's crucial about starting a co-op and, and any kind of movement in, in a way is to find like-minded people who are interested in the same thing. And when you are in a small community, a rural community that may be a little isolated or remote, discovering who uh, you could partner with may be somewhat of a challenge. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but have you experienced or heard about people that have rallied together to to create something in a small community that otherwise would have never happened? Every single example of a co-op I work with is an example of that. One of the groups that we're working with right now, so it's in a, um, a town in southern Saskatchewan, and they don't have a movie theater. You know, it's a large enough town that they think that they could probably support one, but the, you know, the proposition for uh, Cineplex or Landmark just isn't there. They're going to go to Regina or Saskatoon, mm-hmm. you know, the booming metropolis of Saskatoon <laughs> instead. And so this group thought, okay, you know what, like... We know about co-ops. Um, some of their board is from like, you know, the credit union or access communications, which is a telecom cooperative and different kind of things like that. And, and they're like, ah, you know, we, th- we think actually maybe doing a theater co-op could work because it doesn't have to make much money. It doesn't have to hardly make any, you know, it just has to cover costs. No one else is going to do this for us. Like th- this isn't something the municipality is probably, you know, they might want to partner, but do they want to own and operate a theater? Not really. No one else is going to do it, but there's a a key group of interested people there who are like, yes, we are going to take this initiative forward and we are going to build a movie theater in our in our town. And they're doing it. I mean, they're right now, you know, engaging with a feasibility study. They're just becoming incorporated, um, hopefully any day now. And, uh, you know, and this is potentially something that other communities could consider, too. Like, there is no movie theater there right now. They used to have one, but it was just the building was in bad shape. So they ripped it down, no theater. And people missed it so much that they thought, okay, we need to rally around this idea. And we need to get this key group together. We need to form a steering committee and explore this idea. Then they reached out to us and we were like, yeah, this is an awesome idea. And and we've given them support for feasibility study and for their incorporation as well. They could choose then which movies they wanted so they could do indie films for instance it depends like if the if the group of people who owns the theater doesn't want to be involved in those decisions that's that's fine too i mean it's it's whatever expression this, the group of people wants it's whatever brings value to them i mean again that sounds like a kind of a touchy feely thing but i'm always like each person that is a member of the co-op has to believe and understand and feel like that co-op is providing them with some value because it's like you and I might share an interest in something. Yeah. Hey, maybe we share an interest in podcasting or something. Who knows? But maybe we don't share an interest in other things. Like maybe our, you know, we have different family lives. We have different hobbies. We have different whatever. Like, but we share an interest somewhere. So is there a way in that context to collaborate and get something equally valuable out of it for us? And so I'm not asking people to sort of like, you know, in a small town to all agree with each other. Cause like, Hey, I'm from a small town. I know that's never going to happen. But what I'm asking people for is if there's something that you all want and you all share an interest in, 
do it together because this group of people is like, yeah, we we want a movie theater, and maybe they want those big blockbuster hits, but maybe they want indie films. Maybe they want to do a you know the Toronto yeah. International Film Festival viewing party or something like, hey, I don't know, whatever, like whatever they want to do, they can make it happen. It's not just one person going to a town council and asking for exemptions, for instance, or anything to do with taxes or building permits or anything like that, that it's not just one person, it's actually a group of people so that it that one person doesn't feel like it's me against the establishment or me against the town. It's actually a group of people going, we're all interested in this. We're all interested in investing in it. And here's why. And we're all here to stand with together and ask for this. That's powerful. That's really powerful. It is. <laughs> it's exciting. Hey, you, you're feeling it. No wonder, you know, you're like, yeah, I, I'm loving it. I mean, now you understand why I started working here barely knowing what a co-op was five years ago. And I just, I'm loving it ever since. I'm having fun every day. There's huge robustness in a group of people. The one thing that if you look at a co-op and on the surface of it, somebody who's like really into like efficiencies might say, okay, working with other people is mm -hmm. kind of difficult. And like, it is difficult. There's no joke about it. Starting a business with your friends, like, oh, there's some potential for conflict and there's potential for people to not agree and for things to be slow you know, move more slowly. If you're an entrepreneur doing your own thing, you can move so quickly because you don't have to check with anyone else. You just do what you want to do. You know, it's you, the law and your business or whatever. But when it comes to a group, it can be a little slow. Pretty much need a board. I mean, it's basically like representation of the membership because somebody needs to be making the decisions on behalf of the whole membership. Now, a co-op can be small. A co-op can be three people. You know, check with your local, you know, regulations. Um, as to how many people you need to start a co-op. And so the three is my rule of thumb because that's kind of the lowest common denominator. Um, in Saskatchewan, it's six. I think Ontario, it's five, something like that. So it depends. You know, you need at least that core group of people. And if you're, say, starting a worker co-op, like say you're like, okay, what we're going <laughs> to do is start a, a coffee shop and we're going to be three of us on the board. And, you know, that's our group. Then that that's all you need. That You're a co-op. Congratulations. Um, but if you're a large co-op, hooray! <laughs> yeah, um, if you're a large co-op, say that group in in you know in Saskatchewan and it's other in Saskatchewan who's starting the movie theater, their their membership base could be hundreds potentially because a lot of people might you know even people from neighboring communities might want to be a member. Mm -hmm. Um, so then you need representation from having like a board meeting with a hundred people is just not anyone's idea of a good time. An annual general meeting, you're going to have those where you invite the whole membership to come and, you know, vote on things like bylaw resolution, elect a board, that kind of thing. Electing a board is pretty important because you need some people to just say, like, we're going to take this kind of decision making role on. OK, so I actually have a list here of three things I think you need to get started. I mean, so you need the people, you need the people. And then like any other business, you need like a business proposition in the context of like a market. You need to have a path to market, not just enough to say, we're a co-op and open your doors. Maybe people don't want what you're selling. <laughs> I mean, if you're a consumer co-op, like it, it's important, you know, like when you're starting a movie theater, I mean, this group knows that what they need to do is consider, is this possible? Can we afford this? Can we pay for this? Can we pay the rent on the building? Uh, how are we going to pay for this? How much are we going to charge? 
What kind of movies? How many nights are we going to sell? You know, are we going to have the theater open? What else can we do with the theater? Can we rent it out to a, you know, a church group on Sundays or something or whatever to get extra revenue? I I think there are sometimes is this idea that like, it's like, we're a co-op and it's a great idea. So it's going to work. Ah, it's a, it's still a business. It's still a business. It has to make sense. You know, I, I should condition that a little bit too, because co-ops can be nonprofits as well. Um, and the theater will probably be a nonprofit. So in, in that sense, like you need to make sure you're operating at cost recovery or providing a service that someone wants. I mean, even nonprofits have to have a value proposition. You got to be giving somebody something they want. If it's a funder or if it's fee for service, you're under the banner of the co-op act, but basically you just put in this co-op will operate on a non-for-profit basis. And then what you have to do, I mean, there's some key differences here that people should think about when they're starting their co-op, whether to be for-profit or non-for-profit. Mm. I mean, the one thing that, you know, the sort of most obvious thing is that non-for-profit co-ops can't distribute dividends to their members. So if you want any aspect of profit sharing, a, a nonprofit is not for you. I do have some talks with people like, well, should we do this or should we do that? Mostly it's like fairly obvious. If it's like very service provision, if it's a daycare um, if it's like a seniors housing complex, if it's like a theater or something like that, eh, it's like it's a nonprofit. But if it's like a uh, you know a grain terminal where farmers sell their grain to the terminal, like that's that's a business, like that's for profit. So what if people are listening and they're thinking, well, we might have what it takes to open a co-op. What would be their first steps? Who would they get in touch with? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways you could go. So all of our, um, we have kind of a full support process for people starting a co-op in Western Canada. So if you are in Western Canada and you're listening to this, you can definitely just reach out directly. Um, that's our operating area. Again, I had mentioned about our funders. So that's kind of where we're, we're designated to uh, operate and provide direct services for. Now, when it comes to that process, it's basically mirrored with our online resources. Um, you just don't kind of get like the coaching in person, in person, virtual. It's like, is anything in person anymore? Um, the virtual support. You can get that at coopcreator.ca. It's just www.coopcreator.ca. It's resources for incorporating your co-op, for your board. There's policy drafts, uh, membership agreement drafts, all that kind of stuff. So all of that is on there and already organized and set up for anybody to just take, grab a template and go. So if people, though, are looking for a little bit more support and a little guidance can kind of discussing their idea in more detail, like I would encourage like anyone listening across Western Canada can reach out to their local co-op association. Every province has one. So just look up your province uh, cooperative association and check them out and reach out. Most people, most of them have like a person who could potentially um you know, work with them or guide or give them direction to somebody who could help them start their co-op. And also, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of our resources, like in, if you want to learn more about co-ops, if you're kind of like, oh, I think I'd actually like it more in like a course format or something where I could kind of take a couple of modules or something before I'm learning what this is. We do have a number of online courses and we're adding more to the arsenal. And so I think we hadn't mentioned this at the start and we, we said we were going to talk about it, then we did it. So I'm going to mention it now is that uh, we have a course that we've been contracted from the uh, federal government to um, to do like a, a co-ops in Canada course um, for federal government employees, but you don't have to be a federal a government employee to access this course. So it's it's co-ops in Canada, and you can find it at our website, cooperativesfirst.com. 
Um, we also have a course on governance. If people are a member of a co-op board and who want to learn about governance, the other thing that I should just, I'm just going to tease a little bit is that we're adding a course next year on intro to co-ops. So that would be very much like, it's like a kind of a use like a learner pathway based thing. So you can just kind of pick what you're interested in and pick a pathway. But in the meantime, sign up for one of those other courses, co-ops in Canada or the governance course. Like if you're at all interested in how co-ops work and how the governance works and how it's different, I mean, check it out. You don't have to be a board member either. You can just, you know, I found it interesting and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> this is how, you know, there's this case studies and things you can work with. And We should also mention, and I will also include it in the show notes that you've been doing a podcast. So we want to share that as well. People can listen to that too. Yeah. So our podcast is called The Common Chair. Ha ha. <laughs> in co-ops, they have common and preferred shares. Um, you can get it wherever you get podcasts. Or if you're kind of more of like a you know a blog reader or something like that, we do have a number of, of blogs and a lot of content um, on our website, just stories of how people chose to do a co-op. We also do webinars. Like anyone can come to the webinars that I do. They're usually once a month. You know, we just talk about ways that co-ops can inspire people's economic development strategy. But like, even if you aren't an economic developer, you might find it interesting. Thank you so much, Heather. Your passion comes through. It's always so obvious and you have such a great sense of humor. It's really a pleasure to have you on the program. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks a lot. It was, it was really fun. Thanks for the opportunity. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by Imagine Dev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Temp Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of Indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 